Welcome back to the program. Whether we're thinking about smartphones or HAL and Arthur C. Clarke's 2001, we're usually deeply conflicted about artificial intelligence. Will it be a panacea to enhance the already unique powers of human intelligence? Or like HAL, will its survival depend on usurping human control? That balance informs both our fear and appreciation of machines and technology and what they can do. We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Nick Bostrom. He's a professor in the Faculty of Philosophy at Oxford University. He is the founding director of Oxford's Future of Humanity Institute. He has a background in physics, computational neuroscience, and mathematical logic, as well as philosophy. And it is my pleasure to welcome Nick Bostrom to the program to talk about his newest work, Superintelligence, Paths, Dangers, Strategies. Nick Bostrom, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Do we have a clear-cut definition today of what we mean when we talk about artificial intelligence? Back in the 40s, Alan Turing laid out some, some principles which have kind of guided our thinking about it for a long time. But where are we today in defining what we mean? Well, super. Uh, sorry, artificial intelligence is a broad category. Um, super intelligence, I define as any intellect that radically outperforms humanity in all practically relevant fields. Artificial intelligence is a matter of degree. We already have AI that can do various things, indeed can perform at the superhuman level within narrow domains. So we have um, programs that can beat humans in chess. Mm -hmm. And obviously computers are very good at memorizing numbers and making big calculations. But what we don't have yet is um, AI that has the same powerful general intelligence, the same general learning ability uh, that, that any normal human being has. One of the things that we tend to do when we think about these kinds of intelligence or even thinking further out in the context of superintelligence is try and put a human face on that kind of intelligence, to think that somehow it will evolve in ways that are, that are similar to humans. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I think that's a very dangerous assumption to make, that uh, an, an intelligent computer would be like an intelligent human, uh, only more so. We, we tend to picture an AI as a sort of nerdy <laughs> uh, person, like good with numbers. Um, and to some extent, that's true for the AI we have today. Uh, but once you reach a sufficient level of general intelligence, then there is no reason to think that they would have the weaknesses that we now associate with computers. They could excel us uh, not just on calculation, but also in social skills and general wisdom and scientific creativity. And when we then start to ask about what the motivations are that such superintelligent systems might have, then anthropomorphizing them uh, is an big obstacle to understanding. An artificial mind might have uh, final goals and preferences that are very, very different from any human. Uh, things that we wouldn't sort of recognize as being meaningful or sensible goals might be the only thing that a superintelligent artificial mind would be occupied with. And how practical is it, given where technology is today, where we are today, to think about that kind of superintelligence, that super artificial mind, really coming to bear? It's, I think, necessary that we do it. It's difficult, but we do have some some ways to start to analyze what the superintelligent system would be like, how it would behave, and what it would do, and the risks it might pose. 
And the reason why it's necessary to start thinking about this is that we don't know how long it will take until somebody figures out how to create machines with this form of general intelligence. But uh, whenever that occurs, by that time, we have to have solved the control problem, the problem of how to make generally intelligent machines safe. And this control problem looks really difficult. And the more we study it, the, the deeper the question seems to be. Um, and so uh, to maximize the chances that we will have a solution in time, um, we need to get cracking on that problem today, even, even though it is difficult uh, to, to analyze a super-intelligent system that, that doesn't yet exist. Do we need to continue thinking about it, or is there a problem really in thinking about it in these kind of binary terms, that it's somehow going to be dangerous and it should be fearful, or that it is going to be somehow this, this great helpmate to, to enhance human intelligence? Well, I actually think it's fairly likely that it will be one of those two extremes. Um, it's possible that one could have some intermediate... Uh, outcome, but but um, I think it's more likely that it will either be the end of humanity and everything we care about, an existential catastrophe, or um, that it will be the solution to like all our problems with superintelligence. It's not just another nifty technology, another tool that we can use. It's the last generation, the last invention that we will ever need to make. Once you have um, superintelligence, it can then do the research, uh, the innovating, uh, better than we humans can do, and at digital timescales rather than biological timescales. So getting that initial transition to the superintelligence era right is crucial. But if we do get that right, uh, then that might well unlock uh, an astronomically large future for, for, for humanity and its descendants. And what is the nexus then between that superintelligence that we can imagine and creativity and how those two would work together? Yeah, I think creativity is just one functionality of an intelligent system. Um, it's not some unique free-floating ability that, that some mysterious extra ingredient. Uh, it, it's a particular talent at problem-solving where... Uh, where this, the solution is not very obvious from, from the pre-existing results that you have. So that, that when, when I speak about machine superintelligence, as, as you recall from earlier, I defined it as any intellect that radically outperforms humanity in all mm -hmm. practical and relevant fields. So that would include uh, creat scientific creativity and other forms of creativity. When we think of the intelligence of humanity and project this out into the future at a time when this superintelligence might be possible, can we also look at an evolutionary aspect of human intelligence that either enhanced intelligence or collective human intelligence or some combination of man and machine becomes equally equal competition for this kind of superintelligence? Well, the, the suggestion is sometimes made that because machines becoming smarter than us could be dangerous, therefore we should try to enhance our own intelligence so that we can keep up with the machines. I think that's a mistake. Um, if we enhance biological cognition in humans, it's only going to hasten today when we get overtaken by machines because we will then have smarter humans doing the research in computer science and making more rapid progress towards AI. Uh, however, I still think it is probably a good idea to try to 
pursue avenues of biological cognitive enhancement, not so as to sort of keep one step ahead of the machines, but so that we may be a little bit more competent uh, when we are designing them. Um, I place less uh, weight on this idea of merging with machines through like brain implants and so forth. Mm -hmm. I just think that it's going to be very technologically difficult to to enhance the capabilities of a normal, healthy individual through those means. After superintelligence, sure, it's definitely possible. You could imagine uploading into computers and so forth, and the superintelligence would help you do that. But I don't see it as a path towards superintelligence. But biological enhancement, initially through genetic selection and genetic engineering, I think is possible. Um, Also, uh, I think we will continue to increase our collective intelligence and wisdom by developing better institutions uh, for aggregating opinions and, and making judgments. And, and both of those areas, I think, are, are worthy of pursuit, are collective intelligence enhancement and individual biological intelligence enhancements. When we think of this potential existential threat from superintelligence, does it matter, does it enter into the equation who's responsible for the creation of that superintelligence and how it is designed and built from the ground up, essentially? Yeah, how it is built might make a crucial difference. I think the main variable is the level of deep technical understanding that the programmers would have of the system that they are building. Uh, The more deep understanding they have, uh, the better the prospect of being able to survive the intelligence explosion. So the worst case scenario is where you have some team with a lot of computing power and throwing together brute force algorithms, genetic algorithms, and a hodgepodge of different things maybe copied from neuroscience without really understanding how the system works and then pouring on enough computing power and something kind of happens from that soup. Uh, The better scenario would be where you have maybe less computing power, but you have a mathematically deeply well-characterized system where you could prove theorems. um, And and that, that would seem to maximize the chances of a beneficial outcome. What about the difference with respect to all of this in the real world real world versus the virtual world and this idea that you talk about of kind of transhumanism? Well, transhumanism is a broad general viewpoint um, that tends to embrace technology and particularly the idea that we can enhance human capabilities uh, by maybe finding some way to slow the aging process or enhancing our cognitive capabilities. Um, there is no very tight connection between thinking about the future of AI and thinking about transhumanism, other than that the transhumanist circles were one of the earliest places where people began thinking about the future of AI. But you could be concerned with the future of AI whether or not you have any sympathy with the transhumanist outlook. What does a positive outcome look like? What what does a positive evolution of superintelligence look like? Well, a positive outcome is, I think, we develop a friendly superintelligence, one that has our values at its heart, uh, and is therefore um, helping us then develop all the other technologies that we might need and helping us colonize the universe and perhaps uh, nudging us in the direction that will lead to billions of years of enormous intergalactic flourishing civilizations um, developing values and and living lives and having thoughts and feelings that that we can barely dream of but that would be extremely valuable if a if a human civilization directly controlled the future and if we somehow could overcome 
our propensity to war and strife and conflict, then um, there's a lot of resources there that could be used to do things that we regard as valuable. For example, having sentient minds in experiencing great levels of happiness whilst engaging in creative activities and relating to one another and doing all kinds of wonderful things. Um, so all of those things uh, could be done with the assistance of a friendly superintelligence. I don't think we have a very clear idea exactly what a utopia would look like. And I don't think we need to have a very clear idea of that. We don't need a detailed blueprint for utopia. What we need is uh, a process that, that we can have confidence in would lead in that direction. We could then delegate to our hopefully more competent descendants and successors uh, the task of working out um, what the specifics of that would be. If we try to imagine the best possible state and then somehow lock that into a blueprint, uh, we would forever be limited to what we with our constrained imagination can conceive of. We want to allow for the possibility of further moral growth. Um, just as if we imagine that, say, the great ape ancestors to humanity, if they had imagined what what utopia would be, maybe it would be like a modern economy which could produce a lot of bananas, and that, mm. that would be the great thing about being human, is that you could grow as many bananas as you would like. And now we, we think that, yes, it's good to have bananas, but there's a lot more to being human than eating bananas, like we have sort of poetry and film and music and, and uh, romantic love and all these other things. Uh, so similarly we should be open to the possibility that in, in the larger space of possible minds, uh, there are values uh, that, that we have only the vaguest inkling of at the moment. And I guess the other side of that coin is that as we get closer to this reality, how it impacts on our own humanity and how we hang on to our own humanity in the face of this. That, that's also an issue, and I mean, I think it's a less important issue, um, because there are always these cultural and scientific and technological challenges that, that threaten our self-image or that force us to develop new interpretations uh, of our knowledge of the world. Um, but superintelligence poses a much more direct challenge in that it could literally kill us. How far out should we be looking with respect to thinking about this kind of superintelligence? Well, all, all the way to the end game, um, and then with a view of working backwards from there to figuring out what it is that we can and should be doing today to, to, to improve the chances. And I think we can see already that there are certain technical research questions that, that we should be focusing much more on today than we're doing. Some of the best minds of our generation, some of the best mathematical talent of our age and, and the coming decades should be focusing on this control problem, uh, working out how to design a motivation system for a superintelligent agent that into which you could transfer human values, and, and that, that would result in, in a sort of reliably uh, beneficial outcome. Talk a little bit about how that is being worked on, how, how the engineering might be imagined that would solve or address this control problem. Well, today, because we don't yet know what the particular architecture will look like that would first achieve superintelligence, the focus is on certain foundational issues that looks like you have to have solved them. Although they are not sufficient for solving the whole problem, it's, they are necessary to solving the whole problem. Uh, so certain um, issues in, the, um, in decision theory, for example, uh, needs to be worked out. And, and the, the idea is that the insights we could gain there would be architecture independent. 
that is, they could be applied, <clears throat> whatever the exact form of the superintelligent agent uh, will eventually take. At the moment, this is a very, very small uh, research field. It, it seems to be growing in the last year or two, but there might only be like a dozen people uh, around the world who are currently working on this. When this is being worked on now, what thought goes into questioning how the world might be different, how human values might be different, how the world can fundamentally change between now and that time, maybe 50 or 100 years from now, that this becomes a, an engineering reality? A, a limited amount of thinking. So in, in the broader context of the work um, that, that my research group is doing here at the Future of Humanity Institute at, at Oxford, we, 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 we are concerned more generally about these big picture questions for humanity. So AI is, is one really big uh, issue, but, but it is in a larger context of other technological and perhaps cultural changes that we can anticipate. And ultimately, all of these different factors have to be woven together into one integrated strategic picture if we are to make wise decisions from our current vantage point. Thinking about possible value change uh, is, is, is one, one part of, of that overall picture. And looking out 50 years from now, 100 years from now, talk a little bit about what it is that we need to be thinking about in terms of how this is how this is engineered with respect to to really keeping our values how how does that work from from a scientific point of view well as between now and then um there is so like so human values keep changing through various cultural processes mm -hmm. I, I don't know if an easy way to intervene in that process or whether it would be desirable to do so. Um, we should probably continue to write our literature and to have our moral debates and then hope that we kind of mature more. Uh, but when the time comes to hand over the baton to a super intelligent agent, then it's key that we transfer uh, our values into that super intelligent along with the way, along with the, the ability to sort of further refine those values in the same way that we would have done if we had continued the process ourselves. Um, so to uh, endow it with the same capability for moral growth that would and have hitherto been taking place uh, when we ourselves are reflecting on the problem of what is to be done. And finally, how much does contemporary literature and even science fiction and popular culture play a role in the way in which we think about and conjure up some of these ideas? I think it's a, I mean, largely it's an obstacle because the the kinds of scenarios that are depicted in sort of Hollywood movies and best-selling science fiction stories, um, it's all put through this uh, good story bias filter. That is, <laughs> in order for a scenario to be explored, it has to be interesting and entertainment. It has to have a good plot line. Otherwise, you don't make a Hollywood movie out of it. Uh, but um, the most plausible scenarios are not necessarily the ones that have the most interesting plot line. So there's this systematic distortion. Our attention is shaped um, for the most dramatic stories, where maybe you have like a robot rebellion and then a band of human heroes fighting the robots with machine guns, and there are a few key protagonists who are handsome and eventually manage to overcome the... The, the robot menace. So that kind of scenario is extremely impossible. Um, 
the much more plausible scenario is where nothing much happens until suddenly uh, it's game over and we're all dead. Uh, then that doesn't really make for for a kind of um, blockbuster. Um, so so there is this set of cliches that that people are familiar with um, the, the the rebelling robot or these sort of the AI that doesn't understand emotions well. Uh, um, that that kind of stand as obstacles to, to actually beginning to form an understanding of, of what the realistic prospects are. Nick Bostrom, his book is Superintelligence, Paths, Dangers, Strategies. Nick, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me to your show. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.